This is the Sooner Schooner Show on the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. I'm Eric G. from 97.1, the sports animal Tulsa. It is hate Texas week. We're right in the middle of it, and if you've heard it a thousand and one times, let this be a thousand and two. Texas sucks. Yes. God, that feels so good to say. It, it, it never... I'll say this, it, it, it never doesn't feel good to say Texas sucks. There's something very therapeutic about it. So there, make that a thousand and, and three, a thousand and four. Texas sucks. There it is one more time. And coming up on this show this week, I'm going to tell you how OU goes about beating the Longhorns. We'll also talk about some of the defining moments over the past few years and why ultimately this game has a feeling that no other game in in college football has, not even championship games, come with the level of intensity and edge that OU Texas does. Speaking of Texas, we will hear from Craig Way, the play-by-play voice of the Longhorns, and I'll give you two guys to watch that happen to wear that puke burnt orange um, that maybe not everybody else is talking about. But before we get to all that, do us a huge favor. Give us a five-star rating and write a written review. Take a screenshot of both and then send it to Pete Mundo at heartlandcollegesports.com and Pete will give you a Heartland College Sports koozie. Also, that five-star rating helps us elevate the content and get it out to more people. And we want the written review because we want to know what kind of content you want. We want to give you what you want. That's what we do around here at the Sooner Schooner Show. Okay, so good performance from Iowa State last week. Look, you've heard all that crap. Let's get to why OU can win this game this year and overcome a 49-0 butt-whipping at the hands of Texas last year. First and foremost, you have Dylan Gabriel this year. You are not starting Davis Bevel. And then if something goes wrong, you don't have to rely on General Booty. God forbid something would happen to Dylan Gabriel. But in Jackson, Arnold, we trust. And even if OU isn't letting him do enough, when they throw that package out there with Jackson Arnold, he's shown that he's able to run and he is able to throw the ball not only accurately, he's got arm strength. So you have got a good one-two punch at quarterback where if the first guy doesn't work or something goes wrong, the second guy is there to pick it up. But I don't think anything is going to go wrong with Dylan Gabriel. If you have not watched him play, and you know, I have. if you've listened to my radio show, if you have listened to this podcast, then you know I have been hard on Dylan Gabriel. I didn't think Dylan Gabriel was anything more than a stopgap guy that was just trying to bridge you to the to the next guy. He was a guy that you took out of desperation because Caleb Williams left. There wasn't anybody else really good you could get out of the transfer portal. So why not take a guy from UCF that happens to know all the terminology and how Jeff Levy wants to run his offense? Fine. He's just a good placeholder. Well, he's proven to be a hell of a lot more than that. This year, and the thing that that really amazes me, there's a few things that really amaze me about about Dylan Gabriel. One, arm strength. The arm strength is definitely there. Anybody that tells you Dylan Gabriel doesn't have arm strength is not watching the same games that, that you and I are watching. Okay, because even if he's overthrowing his receivers, which he does have a tendency to do when OU needs to stretch the field, or even if he's underthrowing his receivers, 
at least the ball was getting in the general vicinity. And I believe that that is more of a mental thing than there is anything else. Okay, And that's what it is. It's mental. It's misjudgment. You can't change how you throw the ball or really do anything about it. You just got to be a little bit more spot on. So Gabriel's going to be able to stretch the field versus Texas. And let's just say, for sake of argument, that one of those underthrown balls gets picked off. Well, if you've thrown it far enough, further, far enough downfield, it won't play like anything more than a punt for OU. Because OU's defense this year is good enough to get Texas off the field. OU and their OU's defense had their worst performance against Iowa State this past weekend and still only gave up 20 points. And yeah, I know this Texas team's a hell of a lot better than anybody they they faced thus far. Texas can run the ball, uh, and, and not just with their running backs. Okay, they can also run it with, with Quinn Ewers when they need to run the ball. It is there, and certainly this is going to be a tough matchup. And I know that if Texas can stretch the field, it's going to be a long day for OU's defensive backs. In fact, it should be a long day for both sets of defensive backs, unless both defensive lines can get pressure on the quarterback. In fact, if you're a defensive back this week, you are telling your defensive line, man, we need a big game from you. We need you to get pressure. And that's where OU is going to win this game. OU is going to win this game in the trenches because Texas defensive line is the best that OU has faced so far this year. Not that they necessarily have anybody that is good as um, Corleone. Or is it Briggs that was on the other side of him for Cincinnati? No, Corleone is the best defensive lineman in the Big 12. And, And Briggs, Javon Briggs, isn't that far behind him. Both of them just have to play Cincinnati. However... Texas has a bunch of guys that have good speed, they have great size, they get off their blocks, and they can make moves to the quarterback and the running back. They can do a really good job of defending the edge just with their defensive linemen, okay, because those guys do move really quick. Maybe not a bunch of necessarily first-round guys, but guys that certainly could play at the NFL level. They're just that freaking good. OU's offensive line has to have its best game of the year. And because they're going to have their best def- best game of the year, see, I'm just trying to speak it all into existence, that is how they win this game. That's how OU goes about winning it, is the offensive line has their best game of the year, gives Dylan Gabriel time, which will relax Dylan Gabriel, because you go into that atmosphere, and, and Brent Venables talked about it for first-time players, Okay, there's just an edge. There's an edge to this game that doesn't exist in any other game because you've got the 50-50 crowd, and from the moment everybody walks onto the onto the fairgrounds on, on in, into Fair Park, walks onto that fairgrounds, it just stays. The emotions stay at a high until that game until the game is over. Some say roller coaster. I don't know that it really roller coasters as much as it just kind of stays at a continual level to the point where everybody, players, fans, media covering this, you always come out of OU Texas just feeling exhausted. Not a sense of relief, but just exhausted. Even if you win, you're you're tired. Unless it's 63 to 14, then you've you know long celebrated and and you're ready to go party a little bit more in Dallas. However, I digress. Um, But getting back to just all this and where OU is in this game, 
defensively, with as good as they've been playing, with as good as Danny Stutzman is, with as good as the uh, the defensive line is, I think they can get pressure on Ewers. And if Ewers runs, I believe that they can contain him. And it's not that Texas won't be able to score, won't be able to stretch the field. I just don't think they're going to do it enough to win the ball game. I think OU is going to be able to get them off the field, and OU will be able to pass on them enough to, to, to squeak this one out. It'll be tough. I'm picking a 28-24 game with OU. But let's say OU does lose, okay? Let's just, let's just go down that road here for a second, saying that OU loses to Texas. Don't fret, because whoever loses this game is not going to lose another game this year, and they will play again in the Big 12 championship game. And depending on what happens around the rest of college football, which the ACC is doing a pretty good job of eliminating itself, although North Carolina and Florida State kind of are hanging out there, but you got to think in the ACC there's only going to be one team. The SEC this year, there's only, think about this, there's only going to be one team from the SEC who makes the college football playoff. It won't be two. Because if you've watched the West, the West isn't anywhere close to where it has been. Okay, Kentucky's pretty good. Maybe they beat Georgia this week, even if they don't. Kentucky's probably got another loss in them. Georgia probably be be the only undefeated team or the only team without at least two losses in the SEC this year because it's a little bit more mixed up than what it is. So that kind of eliminates them. Then you've got the Pac-12. Well, USC, Washington, Utah, Oregon are all going to end up playing each other. So somebody, or at least a couple of teams, are going to get eliminated there. So it might just leave the door open for the Big 12. And an opportunity for OU and Texas to both get in the playoff. It's weird to think that, but but stranger things have happened. I had Craig Way on my show earlier this week. We talked a little bit about that. And here's what he said about the possible opportunity of OU and Texas playing each other again in the Big 12 championship and then possibly going again, well, or the possibility of these two teams getting into the college football playoff. Oh, I think there's a chance of it, and I don't disagree with anything you just laid out there, Eric. I think there's a chance that it could happen. Uh, but as, as you know, I mean, it's that old coaching axiom. You know, once you lose a game and lose control of destiny, you're you're laying your fortunes at the feet of others and seeing how it does how it goes. And and I think really uh, after this game, like you said, especially if it's a tight game, uh, I think the loser of the game at least stays within striking distance. Especially if they if they went out, then you see what happens in the Big Twelve championship game if it is a split and maybe another very competitive game, then you're looking at other schools. You're looking at, you know, what happens to the Ohio State-Penn State loser and the Ohio State-Michigan loser. You know, I think you have to look at those games and and see what happens there. Obviously, Georgia uh, rolling through, Florida State. uh, You know, you're, you're watching to see how those teams do in their respective conference races and conference championships. But I don't think your premise is far fetched. I mean, the, the loser of this game, if you know, if it's a, a tightly played, as you mentioned, a competitive game, and then they have a rematch with it when it flips the other way around, yeah, you you could see both teams possibly land in there, just like it's done in the SEC. Hey. 
Texas and Oklahoma are trying to carry on traditions of the SEC before they even get in there, right? So it's wishful thinking on my part that OU and Texas would get the opportunity to both play in the college football playoff. However, considering the fact that they're pretty much SEC schools, it wouldn't shock me if there's a little bias towards OU and Texas in the playoff committee. And yes, they are, in fact, SEC schools this week. I know game day is going out to, to to be at Fair Park for OU Texas, but it really should have been the SEC network because that's what this is this week. This is OU and Texas is welcome to the SEC. Brett Yormark, don't want him, don't need him. He's not going to be anywhere around, and good for him to realize that he has no business being at the Cotton Bowl this week. However, Greg Sankey... Our new leader will be at will be there. So as cool as game day is, I, I kind of feel like they should have been on the SEC network and ESPN. I look, you've put it on your biggest you've put it on your biggest stage. There's no, there's nothing wrong with that. But there also should have been a supplemental SEC game day there as well. And you really could have done done this upright. And I feel like ESPN. Sort of missed an opportunity with that. But what OU and Texas bring to the SEC rivalry-wise, look, for as intense as all Auburn, Alabama is, and someday I hope to attend the Iron Bowl, I have yet, I, I just cannot think in my head that it is anywhere close to what we see with OU and Texas every single year. And we've talked a lot about how good Texas can be and how talented they are. Well, let's give you a couple of players to watch. And on offense, I'm going to give you two. I'm actually going to give you a... Uh, four players to watch this week. On offense, I'm going to give you two. One is tentative. Uh, it's, Jata- it's Jatavian Sanders. It's the big 6'4", 243-pound uh, tight end. Scored a couple of touchdowns against OU last year. Had racked up 114 yards against Alabama. So unlike Austin Stogner, their tight end figures in prominently into their offense. And before he got hurt against Kansas last week, He had eight catches. Now, there's a chance that he may not play. So, if he does not play, sticking with the offense now, there's a receiver I really like. It's Adonai Mitchell. Okay, I know you thought I I was going to say Xavier Worthy, but I wanted to talk about guys that people weren't talking about. Adonai Mitchell uh, is a transfer from Georgia, also 6'4". A little bit lighter, 196. Um he had 10 catches and 141 yards against against Kansas this last week. I mean, you put him and Worthy out there, that's a lot. That's a lot for any secondary to to handle. So if for some reason Worthy is not catching passes, you've at least got a guy in Adonai Mitchell who can catch passes and make life tough for OU. But if for any reason Sanders plays, he's a tough matchup for anyone. Anyone as OU saw this past year on the defensive side of the ball. First of all, just watch their entire defensive line. That's how good they are. And they like to move guys around. Um, two of their bigger guys, 95, uh, Alfred Collins. Um, they've got him listed as a defensive lineman. He'll play somewhat on the edge, 6'5, 317, three year letterman. And then Trevande uh, Sweat, um, who's 6'4, 362 pounds who can play all three positions on the line as well. They're just that freaking good. But let's say for a second, okay, uh, Trevante Sweat doesn't play. How big a loss is that for Texas going into this game? Here's our good friend, Craig Way. 
Uh, well, let me go in reverse order on that. It's a big loss if he doesn't play because he's emerged as one of the best tight ends in the country. Great hands and it has been a major offensive weapon. Uh, will he play? Going to be interesting to see. It, it was uh, a kind of a friendly fire thing. It was just in a in the spot of a tackle as Jonathan Brooks kind of rolled up on the ankle toward the pile. Um, so uh, Sark said yesterday in his press conference that he'll be able to update everybody not only on J.T. Sanders on Thursday, but also Ryan Watts, a starting corner. So both of those guys uh, had ankle injuries. Both are listed as day-to-day is the way it's being described right now. So we'll, we'll know more probably on Thursday. We said earlier Texas running game's pretty good. You've got three pretty darn good running backs and – Quinn Ewers is another guy that can run and caught me a little bit off guard watching them against Kansas this week, just how quick this guy can be. I don't think that Quinn Ewers is going to beat you using his leg, but it's just one more thing that you have to account for if you're Brenton Venables and Craig Way explains kind of how the run game or the quarterback run game got worked into the Texas offense. Well, I don't think there was a concerted effort. In fact, I know there wasn't because of uh, Sark and I talked about this on his show last week. I don't think there was ever a concerted effort to make the quarterback run a big part of the offense. It, it, it's it, There's not really a game plan type uh, assessment of that sort of thing to let's let's see how the quarterback run is it I mean this isn't Vince Young running the offense obviously Uh, it's not like that but what they did want to see from Quinn and what he worked so diligently to improve upon in the offseason is his mobility his if you will functional mobility as a quarterback where he can leave the pocket if he needs to where he can tuck it in pick up some big yards if he needs to. He ran for a couple of big first downs in the win at Alabama. Uh, He had a 29-yard touchdown run at Baylor. And then last week against Kansas, a 30-yard touchdown run. And I asked him after the Baylor game, uh, the 29-yard run, I said, take through that. I said, when you saw it all open up, because that was easily the longest run he'd had in his career. And he said, I don't even know. He goes, hey, it was all kind of a blur. So, so then I asked him after the, after the run on Saturday against Kansas, and he had a little more clarity in the answer talking about wanting to see if, it, if protection starts to break down and doesn't have a receiver immediately open, if he has a running lane, and then he's willing. He's a willing runner. I don't think it's game planned in, but he is willing to do it, and uh, Sark is, is more than willing to let him do it if it's, if it's there because he's worked very hard and diligently, as I mentioned, on his footwork and his mobility in the offseason. That was all part of him losing about 15 pounds. The, the, the transformation, if you will, of, of Quinn Ewers, and I think it's, it's paid off for Texas. As it starts to kind of bring things to an end, I, I wonder what is going to be the defining moment of this game because there's always that one moment and OU Texas that either turns the game on a dime and yes, plug your ears for this one. The first one I, I thought of was uh, Jordan Shipley's was it 69 yard kickoff return and then in 2008 where OU ended up losing that one 45 to, to 35. but, you know, that was one of those games that turned it on a dime. You had game-defining plays, though. And I think OU's had a little bit more game-defining plays than necessarily game-turning plays. 
Actually, I guess you could argue it. They've had a fa- they've had a fair amount of both. I mean, the most game defining play in OU Texas history comes from Roy Williams. I mean, the, the Superman play where he jumped on Chris Sims back, and then OU ended up having a pick six. But go back to 2021, and I know what most people are going to remember that game for is Caleb Williams coming in replacing Spencer Rattler. That'll be the first thing that that everybody has on their mind. The other thing they'll have is the 52-yard pass from from Caleb Williams to, to Marvin Mims. But for me, the 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 play of that day was Caleb Williams stripping Xavier Worthy in the red zone or on the 18-yard line, sitting up a Kennedy Brooks touchdown, which gave OU the lead, and OU ultimately won. We will have that moment this year. Absolutely no doubt we will have that moment this year. When will that moment happen? Who will have that moment? Well, I'd love to look into my crystal ball and tell you that it's going to happen with five minutes left to go in the second quarter, and it will definitely give OU the lead, and they will hold on to it, and they ultimately end up winning the game. I cannot tell you that, okay? I'm good, but I'm not that good. I'll tell you who it'll be, though. It's going to be Gavin Freeman. Gavin Freeman's going to be the guy that has the moment, either in a punt return or a big catch for a touchdown, Gavin Freeman will be the will be the guy this year that has the game-defining moment for OU Texas. And if he does it, you know what? I'll go out on a limb say if if he's the, if he doesn't do it, I'll say that it comes from the defensive end. And Stutzman would be the easiest guy to pick, or Canick would be the easiest guy to pick. One of those linebackers. I'll go Trace Ford. He's already had a pick six this year. Trace Ford, the transfer uh, from Oklahoma State out of Edmond, Santa Fe, comes up big in OU, Texas, and seals the game for OU. There we go. There there are my bold predictions. OU wins 28-24, and Gavin Freeman or Trace Ford end up having the game-defining moment, and OU knocks off Texas. When we come back next week, OU will have a bye week next week before they get ready to take on Central Florida on October the 21st. So we'll take a look back at the first six games of the year. We'll figure out where OU is, and then we'll look ahead to OU taking on the Golden Knights. So until next week, all right, and hopefully you've listened to this a couple of times this week. Hopefully you've used it to get ready for the OU Texas game. I'm Eric G saying for the 1,005th time, Texas sucks.